Good afternoon and welcome to the Lockdown Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco and follow our podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, if you like what you're hearing, be sure to like, follow, and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, and the Megaphone app. Subscribing is free and keeps you up to date on the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis. On today's episode, we're going to break down the absolute uh, monstrosity that was last night's game versus the Calgary Flames, because there's a lot to unpack with it, and I don't really know where to start, but I guess we'll t- talk about like some of the key points first, and then sort of think about what this means for the rest of the series, because a lot happened that is go- basically going to change our entire outlook on the series. Originally, I thought Winnipeg was going to win the series in five, uh, I think Calgary wins this in three or four at this point. And the key reason that I think this now is because Mark Shifley, in the first five minutes of the game, went down with some significant lower body injury after he got tied up with Matthew Tuchuk along the wall. Shifley was trying to dodge a check from Tuchuk, I'm pretty sure, and ducked. And then, like, he got his, I think his ankle or something caught in the ice due to his skate. And Tuchuk's skate was actually extended upwards and caught him in the back of the heel. Uh, and it's really not sure what exactly happened to Shifley's leg, but it sounds like he may have torn something or at least dislocated something. I'm pretty sure he tore something, though. He, you know, immediately fell to the ice, started rolling around, could not put any weight on it. Um, it could be like an ACL tear, but I also wonder if it's like a meniscus tear. I've had a meniscus tear myself from hyperextending my knee, so... It wouldn't shock me if something similar happened to Shifley. He, though, kind of like flexed and, and looks like it tore something when he did uh, trying to stabilize himself as he was falling. So just a really bad situation. He immediately went down the tunnel, did not return, and he's going to be seen by a specialist. What this means for Winnipeg is that we're basically doomed. Shifley, even with him in, in the lineup, was going to be uh, a very pivotal player, but you know Winnipeg was going to be in tough anyways. The Jets are not that great, and, you know, frankly, neither are the Flames, but Winnipeg, especially this season, has struggled to create a lot of offense at even strength and on the power play. So it just was, it was going to be tough, and now we're down Shifley. The top line for the whole five minutes at last it did more or less what it did against Vancouver, which was struggle a bit, although they did get some offensive zone rushes um, a little bit more than I expected. It just was really hard to evaluate because... As soon as it was on the ice, then it was off for the rest of the game. So not not great. Uh, and from there, the Jets started scrambling the lines. I'm not actually sure what any of the line combos were. I think Roslovic at one point was on the first line. Um, I think there was like a Connor Wheeler, Roslovic, or Line A line or something. I don't know. Maurice kept mixing things up, and it was really hard to keep track of. But whatever it was, the Jets really struggled to create much of anything at even strength. And frankly, neither did uh, Calgary. I mean, the Flames didn't have to do a whole lot to win 4-1. They just sort of waited for the Jets to kind of implode, especially after the first period. And then it was, you know, here come here come the Flames and uh, watching the Jets sort of just collapse in on themselves. It's really disappointing because when Shifley was in the lineup, the Jets really had the run of play, especially in the first half of the early goings. I thought that the first 10 to 15 minutes were great from the Jets, and then they started to collapse after the Shifley injury, which... Not really surprising, but to watch Winnipeg sort of allow Calgary so many opportunities to score and, and walk in, and I mean, even even the uh, Flames really didn't have to do anything to get those opportunities, it was just embarrassing. And like the Jets got tons of power plays. I think they had 
seven on the night, didn't score on a single one. Just very ugly, in my opinion. I don't know. I, I don't really know what to say. I mean, we even conceded a shorthanded goal to Tobias Reader, which is not not ideal. Looking at this team now, I don't really know what exactly they're going to do. I assume Janssen Harkins comes in, but to make matters worse, guess what happened? Then we lost Line for some amount of time. Line got into some slashing incident with uh, Mark Giordano, although I think Giordano said he wasn't, or at least Maurice said Giordano wasn't the one that directly slashed him and caused the injury. Don't know what happened, but uh, Line left the game and he was apparently being seen by a specialist, so I wouldn't really anticipate him back anytime soon. I think what we're looking at here is basically uh, lose for Lafreniere. I mean, there's nothing else the Jets can really do. They're going to try and come out on Monday and at least make it competitive, but to be honest, man, I don't know what the Jets are supposed to do. They don't have any center depth. They didn't when they were coming into the series, and now they've lost not only their top center, but also one of their top goal-scoring wingers. Coming into this game, I was okay with the Jets maybe struggling a bit and losing in an even game, but this was just very painful. I, I've never really felt this frustrated and upset about Jets hockey, uh, especially postseason hockey, because it felt like Winnipeg's chances were just immediately smashed as soon as the game started. I tend to think that that whole mentality of, of a little bit of hopelessness sort of set in throughout the game because the Jets just really weren't able to string together much at all. Uh, you know, watching the the Jets kind of skate around and really struggle to create much of anything, I feel like a lot of what Calgary did was just sort of sit around and wait for the Jets to screw up. Winnipeg really struggled to maintain possession. They made very poor passes. There were lots of turnovers. It was like watching a beer league play against an NHL squad. And of course, we know that the Jets are certainly capable of better than that. But it, it was just a really rough performance. And uh, in just a little bit, I'll kind of break down some of the guys who I feel like were, were at least positives and other guys who were really struggling because there were one or two decent moments, but uh, for the most part, it was just really painful. And uh, as the game kind of wore on and the Jets started to become increasingly disorganized, it got very hard to watch. I, again, really felt like the Jets just kind of fell apart and it was really tough. I mean, their, their, their special teams were terrible. At even strength, they weren't actually as bad as it looked. And Hellebuck did about as much as you could ask of him. I mean, he was pretty much hung out to dry on numerous opportunities, but, you know, it just wasn't enough. And without Shifley and Line, things kind of fell apart. And uh, I don't really know what to say about this team. I think that, you know, in, in a little bit we'll talk about going forward, their chances of coming out of this series. But I got to say, as a preview, a little bit of a teaser, it ain't looking good. I think Calgary was already slightly favored to begin with, so, you know, this just makes it so much worse now. Just a little bit ago, you heard me kind of express some doom and gloom about how the Jets performed uh, throughout this entire first game of the play-in series against Calgary, and to be honest, this part's not going to be a whole lot cheerier, but we'll, we'll give you some signs of life, I guess, some, some positives to take away. I think the first thing is that Andrew Kopp scored a goal, which is nice. It was a pretty well-worked goal, too, um, and I felt like the Jets really earned it. I felt like that bottom six unit was doing pretty well, and that Kopp goal just felt great, especially in light of everything that had happened earlier in the game, you know, losing Shifley for the rest of the season, really. That was unfortunately a pretty dispiriting moment and obviously a sign that the Jets are closer to Lafreniere than they are the Cup. But, you know, it is what it is. Going into the series, we sort of knew that things were going to be tough, and if anything happened to any of our star players, the Jets would be in trouble. And, you know, ultimately, that's exactly what happened. Uh, but Cop, I thought, was good. I thought that Lowry did decently as well. 
As far as the rest of the team is concerned, uh, Kulikov was eh. Pionk was kind of eh as well. He sort of does the same thing that he did on the power play, which is mostly shoot. But he did try to pass to Liney a couple more times. Even still, though, his passes are way too slow. I don't understand why his passing to Liney is so labored. It just feels like it always moves at, at half the speed of what it should. And that's just been a continuing trend with him. It really kind of breaks apart Winnipeg's power play structure. And it's just something that I don't really understand why it hasn't been improved or fixed or seemingly worked on. I will say that him passing to Liney is, is a better sign, so to speak, but it's still not at an acceptable level. And until that really is fixed, Winnipeg's whole pivot structure on the point, which they kind of uh, feel like they have to do all the time for some reason, is just going to completely break apart the rest of uh, Winnipeg's power play options. With Shifley out, Ehlers kind of moved to that first power play unit, and I thought that he did okay. Like, you know, it, he's not really somebody who likes to be on that first power play unit. He usually likes the more finesse passing kind of guys, which there are quite a few of those, you know, Perot and company. But I thought that he had a couple of really cool opportunities. One of them was like a fake pass that ended up being a, a really nice deceptive shot. It almost caught, uh, I think, Cam Talbot a bit off guard, and Talbot had to squeeze up on his pads really carefully. It seemed like Maurice and the coaching staff, though, started throwing things at a wall because all of a sudden, like, Line was moving to the right flank on his offside, uh, and, and just everyone was sort of being moved around, and I, I don't think that Maurice ever really found a, a line combo or a power play unit that actually had sustained pressure and really created enough to be considered competent. Again, I'm not super surprised by all of this, but I'm just very disappointed because, you know, the Jets then, of course, conceded a shorthanded goal, like I said earlier, to Reader, which was embarrassing. Um, I think that's one of Reader's few shorthanded goals of his career. And uh, I just, I don't really know where to go from there. I mean, if you look at how the Jets are organized, there's not really many top performers that you can rely upon. Morrissey kind of got smoked out, so I think that first pairing unit is probably not going to be doing all that well, especially at even strength. DeMello tried to do his best to stay uh, defensively resolute on a pretty leaky blue line, but, you know, Calgary didn't have to do a whole lot or pressure them to, to capitalize on Winnipeg's mistakes. They just sort of let the Jets implode, and from there were able to take advantage. So, uh, going forward, I don't really know what's going to happen. At even strength, it's not like the Flames were particularly dangerous. Neither the Jets nor the Flames played a particularly great game, but this scoreline tells you that Winnipeg ultimately made the the bigger mistakes and paid for them. I think as far as even strength performers going forward, Roslovic is going to have to step up big time. I think that Jack Roslovic's promotion, which, you know, it, it definitely was earned, I don't think that that's going to make him particularly effective if he's being used as a center. When he's a center, his game just kind of dries out, and he's not really able to create offensively. Kyle Connor is also going to have to put on a much better showing than he did yesterday. I feel like what I've said about Kyle Connor is that individually on his own, he's not able to create space like you would expect him to. He's somebody who needs somebody else to create that space and really struggles to do much in the way of offensive opportunity creation on his own, which is strange because he has all of the physical traits and tool sets and techniques to be somebody who could. But I, I just think mentally speaking, he's not really there with that kind of game style. That opportunity and, and responsibility is now going to fall upon... Um, Blake Wheeler's shoulders, and I don't know if Wheeler is going to be able to do a whole lot. You know, Blake is, as he's aging out, becoming more of a defensive specialist, which not really what he's being paid to do, but that's kind of what he's going to have to do now. Uh, he's going to have to carry the load for that two-way transition game and then also be both defensively responsible 
be a dominating physical presence, and be a setup man in the offensive zone. I don't know if that's really going to work out. I just I feel like when Wheeler was a center earlier, things were okay. But this is a very short series, and if he doesn't work out, and and if there's just not enough offensive depth around him to kind of, you know, get the Jets to within a competitive shouting distance, this series is going to be over very quickly. With Harkins coming back into the fold, the Jets are going to have to figure out ways to get a lot more offensive value out of their depth players. You know, I think you need to move Cop back up to the top six immediately. He is one of our best centers, and it's clear that Eakin is just not up to up to snuff, unfortunately. You know, Cody Eakin definitely tries, but he's a step slower than he needs to be, and he just doesn't really seem to know what positions he needs to take up, especially uh, getting into those higher danger scoring opportunity areas and really creating a bit of a mess in the offensive zone. It just doesn't seem to suit him, and he struggles to do it. Lowry will also probably need to get more ice time because he needs to take away uh, matchup minutes against those opposing top players for Calgary. That said, I don't really know, you know, as far as the offensive attackers are concerned, who else is going to share those minutes because, you know, Line A and Shifley are now both out, which basically leaves your top goal scorers and offensive players down to, uh, um, I guess, Ehlers and Connor and Wheeler, and that's not really enough to get the Jets going. You know, Harkins is going to have to pull double duty. Roslovic is going to have to pull double duty. And then I, I imagine that Maurice is probably going to put in guys like, I don't know, Bork or Shaw or something like that. Players who, in my opinion, don't really cut it at this level of hockey. No matter how you slice it, things just aren't looking so great. And I feel like Winnipeg is in a decent amount of trouble right now. One thing I thought was interesting was that Maurice said, you know, to Chuck's injury on Shifley was intentional and dirty. You know, I, I feel like th- he has a slight argument in favor of that perspective. I don't think that Tuchuk meant to do that, but that Tuchuk's skate was even up and in, in, in a raised position is kind of a troubling sign. It's not great, uh, but again, I don't think it was really intentional. I don't think Tuchuk really meant to do that. You know, no one's really trying to slice each other's Achilles out there. It's just not a thing that guys tend to do. In the spur of the moment and heat of the moment, though, you, you could see it. I just don't think that that is what Tuchuk was trying to do. I think that the Jets, for the most part, just got horrifically unlucky, and that's kind of the price you pay. It just sucks that it happened in the first five minutes before Winnipeg was even able to get going. You know, the Jets looked like they had a decent rhythm, and then it was immediately disrupted by this whole injury situation and Winnipeg just kind of collapsing and falling apart. I think that that's going to be an issue going forward. You know, Winnipeg will probably be much better in the second game, but much better is going to be relative here. Neither of these teams are great to start with, and now the Jets are going to have one of their main offensive catalysts sidelined while also missing one of their key snipers. Maybe uh, maybe we'll find some hidden heroes somewhere, but I think the Jets, as far as this series is concerned, are pretty much cooked. Going forward, I think that there's a lot that's going to have to happen for Winnipeg to really have a shot in the series. Scott Billick on Twitter, who is a Jets reporter, did say that Shifley is dealing with a cut, and it does not sound like it's a normal knee injury, so the Jets maybe have Shifley back sooner than anticipated. Maybe it just looks scarier than it really is. My impression is that Shifley is still going to miss the remainder of the series, no matter how long it is. I feel like we should just kind of count him out at this point and not expect him back. There was no update on Line A, which I, I think is probably not a great sign. I would imagine that Patrick may actually be done, which would really suck because he's one of our most potent goal scorers and really one of our more quality wings. 
I kind of think this team has a really uphill battle, and I think that also extends to the coaching staff who are going to have to figure out how to make this power play, A, more functional than it was against the Flames, and B, just functional at all. I also feel like the line combinations weren't really impressive. You know, Winnipeg was shown as, I think overall, winning a a not-so-great expected goals battle, but that doesn't really mean anything because the Jets were trailing for most of the game and had to chase a lot of the play. You know, the Flames didn't really create many high-danger opportunities. They didn't really get many, you know, looks on net, but the opportunities that they did get, for the most part, they were clinical. Winnipeg actually got away with more than one odd-man situation. There was like a five-on-two that Calgary somehow didn't score on at all, which was pretty embarrassing if you're the Flames. So again, I, I feel like neither of these teams were good, and that may give the Jets a shred of hope at coming out of this series if they can get to Cam Talbot and expose the Flames lineup for being as weak as it really is. I feel like the chances of the Jets actually doing that are pretty slim because Winnipeg is also pretty bad, let's be honest. But th- there's an outside shot, right? And I think that that is the most important thing. As far as the rest of the play-in series are concerned, we did see some interesting things. Montreal played a really scrappy game against uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins and somehow pulled off a glorious win in extra time, 3-2, on the back of Jeff Petrie. But really, I think the MVP of that game is going to have to be uh, Carey Price, who I thought wasn't going to be as good as he was in this first game. He really, really uh, did a fantastic job, and I think that that is something that Habs fans can be very proud of. I mean, the Montreal didn't really have much of a shot coming into the series, at least at first, because the Pens are an amazing team and the Pens are finally healthy. That said, you know, the Habs managed to persevere and hang on, and that's pretty much how Winnipeg will have to play as well. Be scrappy, persevere, and hang on, and hope that your goaltending kind of holds up as well. Uh, in, in New York Islanders versus, I think it was, the Florida Panthers, uh, the Panthers ended up losing, although it was very close. The Islanders were the better team, but they had some serious issues, especially in the third period, just kind of maintaining control. And you felt like even though the Panthers weren't really getting into high-danger areas, you thought that maybe Bobrovsky would crack, maybe this this New York Islanders PK unit would struggle. Somehow, though, the Isles hung on and kept the lead and won. Um, Unfortunately, they did lose Johnny Boychuk on a hit from Mike Matheson that was a clear elbowing to the head. Somehow, Matheson didn't get a major for that, but uh, the uh, safety board did in- indicate that they are taking a look at the play, and I feel like Matheson has to get suspended for that. It was an ugly hit. I don't know how it was only a two-minute minor, but it's got to get punished. Rangers-Canes, I think, finished 3-2 in favor of Carolina, and though the scoreline looked close, it sounds like the Rangers pretty much got dominated. Everyone said that, for the most part, especially in the earlier periods, New York was just trash, which is not surprising. I mean, the Rangers, at this point, are a pretty thin team, and they really rely on guys like Mika Zibanejad to carry the weight of a roster that's just not that good. You know, Brett Howden was apparently leading in ice time in the first period, and he was getting absolutely shelled. The Rangers kind of need to not lean on crappy depth players if they want to maintain any hope of, of piercing Carolina's defense and winning the series. Edmonton and Chicago had a really wild and woolly game. Chicago won 6-4, but you know a couple of those goals were in junk time from the Oilers. For the most part, Chicago just tore Edmonton apart, and Edmonton, for their part, started uh, Mike Smith in net, even though Miko Koskinen was the clear number one choice. It's not like uh, Edmonton's defense was good, especially in the early goings. In fact, it was pretty wretched, but Mike Smith really was atrocious. I mean, he surrendered quite a few more goals than he was expected to, and Edmonton, you know, didn't do him any favors, and neither did he do the team any favors. So just a lose-lose situation, and Chicago absolutely creamed their corn. 
sets up some interesting storylines going forward because I don't think anyone anticipated Chicago absolutely smashing the uh, the Oilers. But if things don't turn around for Edmonton quickly, they're going to be in serious trouble, and maybe Chicago goes on some hilarious run that nobody anticipated. That'll do it for today. Uh, we have another game on Monday, which I'll probably recap tomorrow because um, it's going to be a day game, so I'll probably be able to catch at least some of it. Thanks so much for listening. Before you log off, be sure to check out our Locked On National podcast, hosted by Sarah Avampato. Thank you so much. Have a great night, and go Jets go.